Hello and welcome to the Bull Street Podcast. I'm Tim Kurtz. This podcast was designed to equip you to know Christ and tell of His amazing grace between Sundays. For more information about our church, visit bullstreet.org. Well, I am very excited to finally have some original content on the podcast. We we did the summer series. Um, we've done some stuff for the women's ministry, but that was all things that we wanted to capture to put on the podcast for our members to be able to hear. But uh, we are starting an endeavor for the next few weeks um, on a topic that we're just going to be talking about on the podcast to hopefully help equip our people. And I am joined this morning by our lead pastor, Calvin Fowler. Calvin, thank you for joining. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me. So the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about why we can trust the Bible, the trustworthiness of the Bible. Here at Bull Street, we treasure the Word of God. We see it as our authority, but I think it's easy to sometimes take for granted the fact that we live in the internet age where immediacy is a high priority. We live in a postmodern age where historical things are questioned and and criticized to a great degree. And also we just live in an unbelieving world that doesn't receive scripture as divine communication. And so I think our people, on the one hand, they may just have coworkers, family members that are not believing that might have legitimate intellectual questions about how we have the scripture that we have. Um, but maybe some of our members themselves don't know some of these these historical details um, and and more of a yeah an intellectual equipping that that hopefully these episodes will just give some helpful uh, encouragement and and equipping for for being able to think about these things. Um, well, Tim, also for the believer, just thinking about how sometimes people feel like that they've got to know the original language in yep. order to be a faithful Christian. Like if I knew Hebrew or I knew Greek, then I would be a better Christian. And I really hope that this segment will help faithful Christians know that they can trust their Bibles, their English translations, yep. and they can pursue Christ and, and grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ through faithful uh, translations of the Bible like we have today. So I hope maybe that will be a benefit for for believers as well. Yeah, absolutely. So this morning we're starting with translation, just very fundamentally, how do we know that this Bible that we have, that I can go to the store and purchase a Bible, how do I know that that is the word of God and and coming through Hebrew and Greek? You're right. I don't I don't know Hebrew and Greek. Um, I don't know modern Hebrew and Greek, much less the Hebrew and Greek that the scripture was written in. So take us through that process a little bit. How does how does translation work, um, first of all? And then we'll get to more specific questions about interpretation and that kind of thing. But. Well, let me relieve your stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had seminary classes and uh, on Greek and Hebrew and have spent a lot of time in Israel over the past 20 years and mm-hmm. have learned a lot of Hebrew, uh, but probably enough to get me in trouble. Yeah. And uh, I really, uh, I love the languages and, and love studying the languages, uh, but I rely heavily upon wonderful resources that are mm-hmm. available and 
Uh, I use my Hebrew Bible and my Greek Bible, and I also use the tools that are available to help me with scholarly work and translation and really understanding for faithful interpretation. And these resources are available for, for everyone. Mm. And so uh, those we have incredible tools today that, that help us really understand. Yeah. What are some of those resources that you use? Well, there's a... a program called Logos uh, that's available uh, for your computer that has uh, so many different Bible translations and Greek and Hebrew and commentaries, and it's an incredible library of resources that can be purchased at uh, multiple levels uh, for those who are just wanting to to understand more in their own Bible reading and study, to uh, Sunday school teachers, to those who mm. are uh, pastors and preaching regularly. There's different levels of, of resources available, mm. uh, but there are so many common resources that that anybody can have access to that would be helpful. Yeah. You mentioned the multiple translations that we have in English. I think that we are don't realize sometimes how blessed we are to have so many translations in our language. But how did we get there? How do we have so many English translations? And what what are some differences in the the kinds of translations that we have? Well, I think uh, one of the main reasons for for so many different translations is the different philosophies behind the translations in accuracy and readability. Hmm. Uh, Many of the, the translations are trying to uh, to communicate to an audience at a certain grade level. For instance, the KJV and the ESV would communicate to more of the 11th, 12th grade uh, reading level hmm. versus the NIV is designed more to communicate to those at a 7th grade re- reading level. So hmm. it's the uh, new international version. So it's really for a broader audience of yeah. readers and so even the language that's used in English uh, is one is more accessible, one is maybe a little bit more formal. Mm-hmm. And so th- that's one of the reasons. Uh, but the different translation philosophies, uh, one translation philosophy would be more of a thought for thought. We want to take the original language and communicate it in a thought for thought or paragraph or kind of a... Um, trying to communicate the idea mm-hmm. rather than the exact words mm-hmm. and uh, the word order. And so uh, the ESV is more of a, a dynamic e- or, or a formal equivalent okay. is what they're going for. So, uh, so that you can count on the words and, and that's important for, uh, for study. Mm-hmm. And so where they're translating a word and they're going to consistently translate that word. And so you know when it, that word in the English is used, it, it's going to be consistently translated that way. Mm. Rather than trying to just get the thought, yeah. they're really leaning heavy on on the the words and the exact words. And that's one of the reasons why I love the ESV is that formal equivalence. Mm-hmm. It's not just thought for thought. It's it's more geared towards word for word. And mm-hmm. so you can look through the English language and see to the Greek and Hebrew that's behind it. Yeah. And that's wonderful for study and public reading and, and proclamation. Mm. 
I'll give you an example. When we came to Bull Street 13 years ago, the Bible that was in the pews was the Good News Bible. Mm -hmm. And it was more of a paraphrase, okay. which is not appropriate for study and public reading. Mm -hmm. it's, it's wonderful for reading behind the scenes and devotional and uh, but but it's not good for study because it's the it's it's not word for word it's mm -hmm. not a formal equivalent it's a paraphrase mm -hmm. of the idea hmm. in the text but when you're studying scripture especially in preaching and and exposition of scripture uh, you need a, a translation that is uh, a formal equivalent yeah uh, a a word for word as close as possible that maybe would smooth out the order mm -hmm. because if you just go word for word from Greek to English, it's gonna be wooden. Yeah. And it it you might not even be able to understand it because mm. it's so wooden. Yeah. So even smoothing out with sentence order and syntax is gonna be part of that translation philosophy to make it readable, but for you to see the words behind the English. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I think something else that is so helpful about us having such uh, so many robust translation resources in English in particular is that when there is a translation that doesn't line up with the translations that we have, it's it's easy to say, hang on, there's something different about that. Earlier we were talking about John 1.1 1, 1 in the Jehovah's Witness translation saying the word was a God instead of the word was God. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, of how there are rules in the Greek that we can follow um, that can lead to a smooth, understandable sentence, but is still based on the actual words that we're translating from? Yeah, when you were talking about that, it reminded me of a Greek class I had in seminary, and one of the books that we used was by William D. Mounts, and it was called Basics of Biblical Greek. And and um, he talked about that particular passage in John 1, hmm. uh, verse 1, and, and he said, um, a good illustration of this is John 1, 1, C. The English versions typically have, and the word was God. But in Greek, the word order has been reversed. It reads, and God was the word, literally in the Greek. Mm -hmm. We know that the word is the subject because it has the definite article, and we translate it accordingly, and the word was God. Two questions, both of theological import, come to mind. Number one, why was theos, which is God in Greek, okay. Why was theos thrown forward? And number two, why does it lack the article? Mm -hmm. In brief, its emphatic position stresses its essence or quality. What God was, the word was, is mm -hmm. how one translation brings out its force. Its lack of a definite article keeps us from identifying the person of the word, Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. with the person of God, the Father. That is to say, the word order tells us that Jesus Christ has all the divine attributes that the Father has. Lack of the article tells us that Jesus Christ is not the Father. Hmm. John's wording here is beautifully compact. It is, in fact, 
one of the most elegantly terse theological statements one <laughs> could ever find. Wow. So that was William Mounts in his book, Basics of Biblical Greek, talking about that. Yeah. And you're right, the New World Translation by the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, they say because there's no definite article, they translate it as the word was a God, which mm. is wrong. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't take into account the rules of Greek syntax and grammar. Yeah. And so all of those translations, we see it clearly, all the translations into English say the word was God. Mm. Praise the Lord. Um, I just one final thought, thinking about word for word versus thought for thought translations. Um, just from my own experience, when I'm studying to teach, uh, I find the thought for thought translations, particularly the New Living Translation, um, or even paraphrases like the message, to be helpful in meditation. Um, you were you were saying that kind of the closer word for word translations are going to be more helpful for study because you want to know when a word is being translated one way, it needs to be consistent, and we need to know what the words, where they're coming from. Do you think that that, does that depend on the genre of scripture that you're studying as well? Like, do we need to have more word for word in something like uh, an epistle from Paul versus a thought for thought translation might be more helpful in a Psalm or something like that? Or do you think that generally a translation style is a translation style and we, we need kind of both all the time or... I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I like what you're saying as far as you know having multiple translations and mm-hmm. and uh, and reading them all and and really having a better understanding. We we can have a better understanding sometimes even of our own language mm-hmm. uh, when we look at you know different words and say, oh, that's that's really what it's communicating. Yeah. Uh, but we really can trust our translations. Mm. Uh, there are excellent translations out there that are faithful. And one thing I love about the ESV is the footnotes at the bottom mm-hmm. that when there's a question, when there's some uh, dispute among theologians of a particular word or a meaning, the ESV always puts a footnote at the bottom that says this word in the Hebrew or Greek is uncertain or uh, this could mean this as mm-hmm. well. So it gives you those tools at the bottom. So that's one of the things that is helpful. And and the e- I've been using the ESV for uh, 20 years now. When it mm. first came out, Charlotte gave me one of the first copies, and, mm. and I have loved it. Mm. Uh, let me read you this just briefly from the, the translation philosophy of the ESV. I think it's helpful. Yeah. It says, the ESV is an essentially literal translation that seeks as far as possible to reproduce the precise wording of the original text and the personal style of each Bible writer. As such, its emphasis is on word-for-word correspondence, at the same time taking full account of differences in grammar, syntax, and idiom between current literary English and the original language languages. Hmm. So it's uh, that's really what they're going for, and I love that. In uh, in study because you can see those words being repeated mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's just helpful in study. So I I like to have a translation like this. Yeah, um, the King James has that kind of translation philosophy as well. Hmm. And but I think sometimes our readers now need to understand even definitions of Old English. Yeah, it's like 
you know, reading Shakespeare and not knowing some of the uh, the words and meanings and even the the grammar and syntax of, of yeah. old English. Yeah, that that has to be translated in your mind to yeah. modern <laughs> English. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Thanks, Tim. Mm-hmm.